Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Open your Bibles to Psalm 136. I've talked about this before, a few times probably. Um, and it's interesting, that's the last song we did do it again, and the things that Pastor Mike was saying afterward, if you can remember what he did before, right? And that's what this psalm is about, remembering everything he did before, and there's a reason for that. We're not just, uh, it's not just, it's certainly not a history lesson, it's an, it's, uh, an encouragement, remembering in detail the things that he has done for Israel in the past, gave them confidence uh, that uh, he was going to continue to provide for them, to protect them, and give them victory in the future. But let's read this. We'll read it in pieces, and I'll make a few comments until I get to the, to the main point, which is nearer the end of it. Uh, but let's just begin in verse 1 of Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. In those first three verses just thanking him, praising him for who he is, reminding the reader we are not dealing with a God. This is a God in distinct, uh, stark distinction from the other gods of this age, and that will be made clearer here in the next section. Uh, but give thanks to God because he is God. Give thanks to the Lord because he is the Lord, and he is good. Uh, verse 4, to him who alone does great wonders. For his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. For his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. For his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights. For his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule the day. For his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night. For his mercy endures forever. And these verses of course are all about his creative power. And again this is in stark distinction between Jehovah and the other gods of the age, which were gods who were born of the hills, born of the woods, born of the sea, who were products uh, of other gods uh, mingling with the earth or with earthlings. This defined, this one, one of the definitive characteristics of Jehovah, our God, is that he is outside creation. He is, of course, he is through all, through all creation as well. He is, he is omnipresent, uh, but he is the one who set all these things up. He established the earth, the seas, and the skies, everything. And it's, uh, of course, the refrain, his mercy endures forever, is uh, between it's every other line in this psalm. But it's, it really is important in this passage because I think when you're stressing the creative power of God and his omnipotence, it's an easy thing to forget that we're dealing with a God who's one of whose defining characteristics is also mercy. Uh, how merciful do you, in your natural state, in your unregenerate state, or in your uh, semi-sanctified state, would be inclined to be overwhelmingly merciful if you had all power? You know, I wouldn't. We uh, probably talked about this way back when, when we were looking at... Um, when God appeared to Abraham to tell him what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember this? Uh, how Before the bargaining, there's this conversation. Should we tell Abraham what we're going to do? Because 
I've already promised I'm going to make him a great nation. He's, this, this is my man. We shouldn't hide it from him. So he tells Abraham. And then Abraham enters into this bargaining. Uh, are you, how about uh, if there's 50 people you don't destroy, or if there's 50 righteous? And bargains him all the way down to 10, right? But isn't it interesting that when he told Abraham what he was going to do, now, of course, Abraham's concern is what? For the people of Sodom? For the people he doesn't know? No, it's for his nephew, Lot. Uh, and he could have just said, can you get Lot out of there first, maybe? And then said, and go ahead and judge all those heathens. I'm with you, God. I'm for you, and I'm against them because their, their sin bothers me as much as it does you. How about when God told Moses, stand here beside me. I'm going to wipe out. This is a wicked, hard-headed people. They've disobeyed me. They failed to believe me. You stand here. I'm going to wipe them out and start out with you. And this is God not seeking. He's not asking Moses' opinion on this. He's telling him. This sounds like a command. You stand here with me. I'm going to wipe them out. How about if Moses had said, yeah, yeah, you and me, God. You, you and I see eye to eye. I agree with you. These guys, these guys are hopeless. Thanks for thinking about me. Thanks for thinking enough about me. And we align ourselves with God. And if, that, and if we're the kind of people that think that way, I mean, what if he came today? I mean, picture a, you know, it's not too hard to do. Picture a city uh, that doesn't line up with your uh, moral vision for Christian America or a political party. What if God say, hey, I'm going to come and wipe out those liberals today? Uh, you know, if you're, and I'm assuming, you know, and I know I'm not speaking for everybody, but I, I, I tend to lean conservative in my politics, and I've seen some evil. I've seen evil on both sides of the aisle. I absolutely have. But pick out your, your least favorite politician, and God says, I'm going to destroy that person. What are you going to say? Yeah, I agree, God. In fact, that's exactly what I've been praying for. Or would you react like Abraham and Moses and say, Lord, far be it from you. Spare them for my sake. Because if you're the kind of person who's going to agree with God in judgment... You're the kind of person God's not going to share those things with. Because when he shares those things, he shares them so that we will pray. He's looking for intercessors, right? Whole nother sermon there. But here he is saying, reminding us, this is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He can do anything. He has ultimate power. And guess what? His mercy endures forever. So we pick it up in what? Verse 10. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever, and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. Now we're talking about specifically the covenant-keeping aspect of God and his mercy, right? Now we're talking about uh, not just general character, not just his uh, characteristics, who he is, not just his creative power that define him, but things he has done in time, in history, for Israel. And, of course, their big, their defining moment as a nation was the Exodus. And so this is what he's talking about. Uh, and so he brought them out with great power, Strong hand, outstretched arm, divided the Red Sea, took them through it, and then the next verse, but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. And you couple that verse with the, uh, to him who struck Egypt uh, in their firstborn, verse 10. These are two acts that, to me, don't fall into the category of mercy. 
He struck Egypt and their firstborn. Remember, all the, uh, everybody in Egypt who didn't have the blood on, their, on the doorposts of, the, of their house, the firstborn died. And, uh, and he did drown Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. Where was his mercy? It was on the people he was in covenant with, wasn't it? This is an important point. It is God's character to be mercy. But God's mercy to those who are in covenant with him is God's judgment on those who oppose us. Not just who oppose him. If they oppose those who, is, who are in covenant with God, our mercy becomes their judgment. In covenant is a great place to be with God. And we've got to be very careful and remember, why are we recipients of God's mercy? Because we are in covenant with him. Not because of our inherent goodness or our inherent superiority. It's our relationship with him. But there is absolutely a judgmental side of God. He judged Pharaoh and his army when he drowned them in the Red Sea. He had made it abundantly clear to Pharaoh and his army what his will was concerning his people. I got him out of Egypt for a reason. And you're going to run out here and try to drag him back. You're going to fail. And fail catastrophically. God will exercise judgment on those who oppose us. I'm going to share something really weird with you now. And uh, if you're not, uh, it's been a while since you've heard me preach, but most of you have heard me preach long enough to know the kind of things I preach about and the kind of things I don't. Uh, And I don't, I'm not a big one. Uh, I absolutely believe and embrace uh, doctrinally, okay, visions and dreams. But God uh, has not dealt with me a lot that way. I've had two dreams in my life that I am quite certain were God telling me something. And one was something that was very personal. Not that I'll never share it, but uh, it's, it's not uh, something that has anything to do with here tonight. And the other one was just uh, maybe a week or so ago that I feel was something... It certainly wasn't just for me. But it was... Uh, and, and again, I, I cannot say categorically that this was from God. But it was, it was absolutely different from the kinds of dreams I normally dream. And I don't, sometimes I wake up from a dream that seems very, very real, and I'll do a little bit of analysis, and once I'm awake and I realize it wasn't real, I also realize there's no deep significance to it. Uh, I try not to blow things like that off. I'll analyze them, but sometimes, you know, nope, that's just a weird dream. That's, that's something I ate. That's, uh, as uh, old uh, Scrooge said, it's a fragment of an underdone potato, or something like that. That's from uh, Christmas Carol. Remember? Uh, but then there's some things that, I, that, uh, that, again, there's very few, two that I can remember where I wake up with the deep, deeply, deeply disturbed by something I see in the dream. And this was a, a whether it's a, it, it's a, whether it's prophetic or not, I don't know. And it's still very vague. I couldn't give you a specific conversation that took place in this dream, but it definitely was a picture of us, the church, in America, in the future. And it wasn't pretty. We were the minority, and we were officially not imprisoned, 
but definitely persecuted. We were officially looked down upon as second-class citizens. We had to walk carefully. We had to watch our step because any citizen could accuse us of, of hate speech, of uh, spreading ignorance, uh, much the way we would point at somebody, a, a raving lunatic today, who, and, and frankly how we should. If there's somebody out there, uh, absolutely, you know, the, the, and they exist, unfortunately, you know, Nazis, uh, just uh, unrepentant racists, people who, ab- who absolutely spew hate. Uh, and these people should be censured for what they're, what they're preaching and what they, and what they believe. They should, be, they should be taught. They should be made to know that it's ignorance and that it's wrong and that it's sin. But this is the way the vast majority of the population was looking at us. We are tolerating you, but just barely. Now again, is this something that is definitely going to happen? I pray that it doesn't. I pray that it doesn't. Do I see our nation heading that way? Do I see a a trend that way? I absolutely do. And we, the fact is, we don't know how we are going to behave. We don't know how bold we are going to be how bold we would be if we ever have the opportunity to be bold in a situation like that. Now, you know darn good and well that many people do around the world. And I'm so thankful that so far in America, it's not like that. Here, what does that have to do with what I'm saying here? It's simply this. That even when things get ugly, as I believe they will, whether they get that ugly, I don't know. But if they do, than when they do, God will judge. God will judge. When, we, when it looks like we are not, when we are no longer uh, stemming the tide of culture in a direction that is anti-God, when the tide of culture is clearly going the other way, uh, even if we are not being swept along with it, we can start to feel like failures, But God never is completely out of control. doesn't mean it's his will for this country, not for a second. And the people that persecute you, that make your life miserable, whether they're doing it now or whether it happens 10 years from now or 20 years from now, God will judge those people for how they treat his covenant people. This is the picture we see all through the Old Testament. God judged, he would use a nation to straighten his people out, and then he'd turn right around and judge that nation for so willingly being used to straighten out Israel. That's a little bit confusing. If you go back and listen to three years' worth of uh, my Sunday morning preaching, it'll all become clear. But it is true. Uh, we, we, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We never have to worry about how this is unjust, this is unfair. God, why aren't you, going to do, why aren't you doing anything? He will. He will judge those who, uh, who oppress his covenant people. Let's read on. Uh, verse uh, 16. To him who led his people through the wilderness. This, uh, the wilderness here, this is what the book of Numbers is about. Do you remember? Quick, quick review. Uh, most of you are very, very familiar with this. After they, they, they left Egypt... After they camped out at uh, 
Sinai and got the Ten Commandments, got the law, uh, set up the priesthood, built the tabernacle. They, you know, over the course of uh, nine months to a year, they come to jo- uh, the, the Jordan River and God tells them to cross it, to take Jericho. They send spies into the land. This is the land, everything that God did, all the miracles, all the plagues, everything that he did was to bring them to this moment to enter the land and they wouldn't because they were afraid. Ah, there's giants in the land. They're going to eat us. They're going to chew us up and spit us out. And God uh, says, all right, if you're not going to go, you're not going to go. He had given them every reason to trust him, every reason to believe him, and therefore every reason to obey him. And they refused because they were in unbelief. And God said, your unbelief is going to cost you. You're going to wander around until this unbelieving generation dies off. Everybody over the age of 20 was going to die in the wilderness. And then when that last person was dead, the next generation got their opportunity to go in. So for 40 years, they wandered. What was this 40 years of wandering? Why were they wandering? Did God just decide, hey, before I send you into Jericho, I want you to do this. We're going to wander around the desert just to see how well you trust me. No, it was punishment. They wandered because of their disobedience, because of their unbelief. But, what's verse 16 say? To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. Look at, uh, we know for one thing that during those 40 years, he still manifested his presence as a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. He still fed them with manna every day during those 40 years. Look at this in uh, Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, beginning in verse 1. This is, uh, we're getting the recap from, from Moses here. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. 29 verse 2. Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. For 40 years, they wandered around, and God kept their clothes together and their shoes. He took care of them and provided for them in the midst of, the, of what they were going through because of their disobedience. Why? Because his mercy endures forever, and there's still a covenant there. Not only that... Some more to do with their wanderings here. In verse 17, To him who struck down great kings, for his mercy endures forever, and slew famous kings, for his mercy endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his mercy endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his mercy endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his mercy endures forever. I want you to turn back now, if you would, to Numbers. Uh, Chapter 21. I'm just going to read about what, uh, what that psalm just talked about. 
Numbers 21. Actually, we're going we're gonna to begin in verse 21. I think I gave you verse 1, but I want, King, I want verse 21. Then Israel sent messengers to Sion, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sion would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sion gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Uh, All they wanted was safe passage. They just wanted to pass through the territory. They said they wouldn't eat anything. They wouldn't drink anything. They wouldn't get off the road. And not only did he say no, he came out with an army. Then Israel defeated him, verse 24, with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok as far as the people of Ammon for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land from, uh, from his hand as far as the Arnon. Now, uh, skip down to uh, verse 31. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. Now, you know, it's interesting. We kind of picture 40 years of just aimless wandering. They took this land, and some of them just settled down there. In fact, they continued to stay there. There were, there were uh, the, tri- the, uh, uh, the tribe of Gad, and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh ended up staying there. Once they contributed to the victory on the other side of the Jordan, they got permission to come back and settle in the land that God gave them while they were still in their wandering years. The other half of that is next in verse 33, and they turned and went up, by the way, uh, to Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, uh, to battle at Edrei. And the Lord said to Moses, do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons, and all his people until there was no survivor left. And they took, no survivor left him, and they took possession of his land. Here they are, again, I can't stress this enough, they are in the middle of a chapter of their existence as a nation where they haven't even gotten their own land yet. But they're in the middle of this 40-year episode of discipline, of punishment, because of their disobedience. Again, this wasn't some mysterious working of the will of God. He told them they knew exactly why they were wandering, why they had to wait to inherit the land that he brought them out to inherit, which is on the other side of the Jordan. And while they were there, God leads them in these two specific cases to supernatural victory over the inhabitants of the land. And these weren't innocent victims. These were people who went out to fight Israel. They didn't want Israel walking by. They didn't want them in the neighborhood. So they went out to fight. And God not only gave them the victory, gave them their stuff. They got their fields. They got their houses. The very people that came out to destroy Israel ultimately left behind a blessing for them. Why? Because God's mercy endures forever. Was God's mercy available to Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan? It absolutely was. You know how they could have gotten in on it? 
please pass through our land. And by the way, help yourself to the crops in the field. And our wells have plenty of water. That would have made them a blessed nation. Had God or had God not already made the promise in the covenant, I will bless those who bless you. There was a blessing right there available for Og. A blessing for Og. That should have been the name of this sermon instead of his mercy endures forever. But they turned it down because of their fears. Whether they didn't trust, maybe. I don't know. I can't try to get inside there. I just kind of think they were mean. No, we're not going to do anything for you. But God took the thing. And, and this kind of reminds me, this is something. It's, it's, You've got to be careful with il- this illustration. But I always liked it anyway. And I heard it from uh, Len Mink years ago at Rama. He shared this with us. He, he read the story of, uh, you remember when Samson was walking down the path and the lion came out? And... Uh, you know, it's great. You know, Samson does all these great, you know, where he kills 2,000 men. You know, he kills 1,000 with the jawbone of a donkey and rips the gates off the city. But this is just him walking down the, the road, and a lion leaps on him, and he catches it in midair and rips it in two. Just this amazing thing. And then he walks on home. And you don't see anything of him saying, you won't believe what happened on my way home. It's just kind of like, ah, just, you know, this way. But then later... He goes by, and you remember the carcass is there, the carcass of the lion that he killed? Do you remember what's in it? And the rib cage, there's this honey. There's this hive with, it's dripping with honey. And so he gets some. He scoops out this honey, and he eats some, and then he takes it home and gives it to his parents. But he didn't tell them where he got it. Why? Because he wasn't supposed to touch a corpse because of his, his vow. Okay? So really, one of the bigger lessons there is that, is that Samson did not fulfill every aspect of the vow he took. You know, cutting his hair. We know he eventually got his hair cut too. But he also touched this corpse. Almost certainly drank at these parties he went to. And he wasn't supposed to do any of that. But here's the, here's the thing that, that uh, Len Mink shared with us. He said, you look out of this. Here is the, and, and Samson even made a poem about it, remember? Uh, the, the riddle. He said, out of the uh, strong came something sweet. And out of the eater came something to eat. What am I? And he challenged the, the guys at his bachelor party to solve this riddle. And, uh, of course, it was the lion. And, uh, and, he, and Len Mink said this. He goes, God will make it. He will bring the sweetness of life out of the very framework of the thing that tries to destroy you. Out of the framework of the thing that tries to destroy you, God will bring the very sweetness of life. And, uh, and that's kind of a cool thing. This, and I see this played out more perfectly in this episode in Numbers, where here are two, who, two kings who make it their business to... And there were more than this, by the way. These weren't the only two battles they fought in this 40 years. They were learning war. By the time they went to Jericho, they knew how to swing a sword, and they were accustomed to victory, and they were accustomed to God really doing the work, weren't they? So they were ready. The second generation was ready. Uh, but God didn't just pick random innocent victims. They walked through cities, and they did it right. They asked permission, and these guys came out as the aggressors. And as a result of Israel trusting in God, they not only survive these battles, they wipe out their enemies and get their stuff. If you are ever, if you've ever been attacked, you know what it feels like to be attacked. If you're fighting a battle, you know what it's like to be in a battle. 
God has a promise for you. And it's not just that you will survive. His promise for you is victory. His promise for you is the goods of your enemy. And I encourage you not to think about that in terms of your political opponent, your, uh, somebody who's competing with you for a job. Those are not your enemies. The, the, the goods of this world who bought, who, that, that currently are under the control of the prince of this world are your goods. Another verse in the Bible puts it this way. Uh, the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. Is that right? Sure, you can be coming on up here because I'm, wrap, I'm wrapping this up. If we will continue to trust God even when it doesn't make sense, if we will continue to praise him even though the, circumstance, the circumstances around us aren't praiseworthy, God will give us victory. God will give us the enemy's goods. He will give us the enemy's people. The Lord said unto my Lord, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as an inheritance. Now that was really spoken to Jesus, but if you're in Christ, I believe that's something we ought to be asking for, the salvation of nations. I was listening, I've shared this with you before. Many of you have heard something like this, I'm sure, but I was listening to another message by Ravi the other day who, who told this story uh, and he told it in, uh, and it's, it's one of the more common questions that apologists have to field, which is, if Jesus is the only way, if you really believe Jesus is the only way to God, if, if, if Christianity is the only route to salvation, how is that fair to people in countries where Christianity isn't the dominant faith? Even if they hear it, they don't hear it the same way that you and I hear it here. And his response was that God will always, will never be unjust and even in situations like that. And then he proceeds to tell this story of a, a particular individual. And he says, now this happens. He goes, it happens by the hundreds. It happens by the thousands. But this particular man came to him from one of these Middle Eastern countries. He wouldn't even name the country. But he came to him. Uh, and, and, and he came from such a, a secure area that Ravi even had to ask him, how did you get out of your country? He said, uh, what I do on the side is I make uh, false passports. He's a, he's, a document, he, he's, a, he's a document expert, and it's what he used to do. But anyway, he said for every night, every night for three years, he had a dream about Jesus. And he was in a Muslim country. And he finally shared this dream. It was driving him nuts because every single night he had, had a vision of Jesus. And he didn't even say what it was about, but he, he shared that he had this dream. He shared it with his mother, and his mother said, you need to get out, you need to escape. Uh, he says, why? He says, because your brothers will kill you when they hear about this. He says, but I'm not a Christian. I'm not going to convert. He says, it, she says, it doesn't matter. If they hear that you're dreaming about Jesus, they'll kill you. So he escaped, but by the time he met Ravi, he had become a Christian. He had committed his life to Christ and was, committed, was committing himself to the ministry. The fact is, when we talk about praying for the nations, uh, and asking for the nations as an inheritance. N there's no job that's too big for God. It's not just the wealth of the sinner that God wants to give us. Our heart should be for the sinner. It's not just the stuff that's under the enemy's control. It's how many people are still under the enemy's control. And what greater thing could we hope to see as inheritors of this great covenant than to see Thousands and millions, and dare we dream it, billions of people 
to come into that same saving knowledge. Can we ask for that? Can we hope for that? Can we dream for that? Can we pray for that and believe for it? I believe we can. We might as well finish up this psalm real quick. I don't have much to say, much else to say about it. But we came, we, we came this close to finishing it. Uh, verse 23, who remembered us in our lowly state, for his mercy endures forever, and rescued us from our enemies, for his mercy endures forever, who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. So he goes from the very general. He is God. He is the God of gods. He's the only God. He's the one who created everything we see and by the way, everything that we still can't see, or they certainly couldn't at that time, uh, and then moves to the covenant in history. This is what God has done. Why do we give thanks to God? Why do we still believe in God? Because we see what he has done. He has acted specifically. He's acted powerfully in creation. He's acted specifically in the covenant, and he's acted repeatedly and faithfully always to our good Finally, right down to us. Oh, and it wasn't just history. He remembered us in our lowly state. He gives food to us here and now. Right? Rescued us. He didn't just rescue our ancestors from their enemies. He rescued us from our enemies. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. Stand up with me. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.